So good morning listeners and welcome to Come and See Inspirations and this the 22nd of August, it's the 21st Sunday in Ordinary Time. My name is John Keeley and help me to present the programme as usual is Shane Ambrose. Good morning to you Shane. Good morning John, how are we doing? Good, thanks a lot Shane for, for joining me and we also, I know you join me in welcoming our listeners who are housebound and lonely and struggling in some way today. Our listeners who support us each week in prayer, we know you're out there, we know you listen to us. You contact us by text sometimes and email sometimes. Thanks again for staying with us and we hope today will be another programme where you'll be uh, encouraged um, by by the people we have joining us later on in the programme. Shane might share that later on. But in the meantime, just to remind people, our programme does include interviews and chat on faith topics each week inspirational music and reflecting on the Sunday Gospel. All of our programmes can be heard at comeandseeinspirations.buzzspread.com, as I said before. Just Google Come and See Inspirations and you'll find us there. Also on our blog, uh, sacredspace102.blogspot.com, where you can hear way back uh, all the stuff that's gone up way back for the last 13 years. And also on Spotify and iTunes you can listen to us, and also on Facebook, just just find us there on Facebook at Come and See Inspirations. You can contact us if you wish by texting 087 That's 087 Or email comeandseeinspirations at gmail.com. Now with this part of the programme, as usual, we invite Shane to share with us Saints for the Week. Thanks, Shane. Thanks, John. So as you said at the top of the programme, we are in the 21st week in Ordinary Time. So today, being the 22nd of August, would normally be the Feast of the Queenship of Mary, but that's not celebrated this year because obviously Sunday takes precedence. Monday the 23rd is the feast day of St. Rose of Lima. She's a Dominican tertiary, was a recluse. She died in 1617, but very much seen as a server of the poor and the marginalised, and she's associated with setting up kind of social services in her native Peru. She was uh, born to a noble family, and she's a patron saint of embroidery, gardening, and cultivation of blooming flowers. And she was the first person in the Americas to be canonized as a saint. And she is canonized in 1671 by Pope Clement X. Uh, uh, so then on uh, the 24th of August, August, we celebrate the feast day of St. Bartholomew. Bartholomew is listed as one of the as one of the apostles. His name occurs in the Gospels, in the Synoptics. Um, in, he's probably to be identified with Nathaniel of Cana, whom Philip brings to the Lord. Tradition is that he had preached the Gospel in India, and he's the patron saint of plasterers, tanners, and leather workers. Now, Bartholomew, now this comes with a breakfast warning for those that might be listening at breakfast time. So St. Bartholomew, uh, when he is depicted, uh, he's generally depicted holding his skin. He was supposed to have been flayed alive as his martyrdom. So if you're looking at, if you're looking at that famous painting of the Last Judgment in the Sistine Chapel, there is, he's in it, and there's a picture of him there, standing there, and in his hand, he's holding his skin. It's an interesting one. <laughs> So Wednesday the 25th is the feast day of St. Louis of France. He was the king of France. He died in 1270. Now, he died in Tunisia on the Second Crusade. He's the patron of French monarchy and the military, and he's also the patron saint of barbers, oddly enough. 
Thursday the 26th is the feast day of Blessed Dominic of the Mother of God. Now, this is what I had to go looking for. He's a, he's a Passionist saint, um, was an Italian theologian and member of the Passionist congregation, and he was prominent in spreading Catholicism in England. And he contributed to the conversion of John Henry Newman. He was, a, he was beatified in 1963 by Paul VI. Um, he was born near Viterbo uh, in 1792. And then he befriended the Passionists and served them daily with Mass and joined, eventually joined the congregation. He was involved with their foundations in England. And he also had a keen interest in the Oxford movement, which is where the linkage came with John Henry Newman. And he died in 1849. So then a Friday, the 27th of August, is the feast day of St. Monica. She died in 387. Monica, of course, is famous because she is the mother of her son. So that is St. Augustine. Uh, converted her pagan husband, who was patricious to the faith, and by her prayers and tears brought St. Augustine to Christianity and a moral life. And she is known, uh, obviously, she's one of those particular patron saints from mothers. And then finally, on the 28th of uh, August, we celebrate the feast day of St. Augustine, the bishop and doctor of the church. Augustine is one of the preeminent saints of the church. He is one of the preeminent doctors of the church. He's known as one of the Latin doctors, which means that he, uh, his writings contribute to the teaching of the church right down to the present day. He was a theologian, a, theologian, a philosopher and ultimately was the Bishop of Hippo, which is in Roman North Africa. Um, he is seen as one of the most important of the church fathers in the patristic period, and his writings down to the Christian day of the City of God, on Christian doctrine, De Genitatis, and the most famous book that he ever wrote is his own Confessions. He is a man very much regarded as, you know, there's so many sayings that we associate with St. Augustine, my heart is Restless until it rests in thee, O Lord. Uh, the other ones, of course, uh, trying to understand the mystery of God and the dream that he had of uh, digging a hole in the beach and uh, trying to fill it with water, or trying to dig a hole in the beach and the tide wiping it away, and ultimately realizing that was trying to grasp the mystery of God. As I said, hugely important saint, particularly in, um, in terms of Christian anthropology, ecclesiology, ecclesiology Marianology, and also uh, sacramental theology, very much a saint taken, whose writings were used, particularly had a huge influence on Martin Luther, and uh, also actually on Pope Benedict XVI was a, was, a, a, was a man who very much looked towards uh, the writings of Augustine. So he died uh, literally just as the, um, the Vandals, they were a Germanic tribe that had converted to the heresy of Arianism, were invading Roman Africa, and they besieged the city of Hippo in the spring of 430, just when he'd entered his final um, illness. And so he, he was pop he was canonized by popular acclaim and later recognized as a doctor of the church in 1298. And his feast day is 28th of August, because that's the day on which he died. He's the patron saint of brewers, printers, theologians, and a number of cities and dioceses. And he's also invoked against sore eyes for odd reasons. And obviously, um, he's, he's obviously the patron of the Augustinian order. Now, it wasn't that he set up the Augustinian order, but it's rather that they followed the rule of St. Augustine. Um, so that's, that's, where they, that's where they take their name from. 
So that's what we have, John, in terms of our saints for the week. How in heaven's name did he get to be patron saint of Brewers? I have no idea. I didn't look it up. I'll check for you next week. I need to know that. No, I'm only joking. But the other thing, Shane, that, that just crossed my mind, um, it's just a phrase that you use there. Maybe we might do a programme on it at some stage. Um, use the phrase, the early church fathers. And mm. we hear this every and now. Mothers, sorry. And mothers. I better, and, I, I better correct myself. It's the church fathers and mothers. Yes. Excuse me. Excuse me, listeners, for that. We might do a programme on that at some stage. Who are these people? And why are they you know, important in, in, for us in maybe developing our faith? I suppose, in, in quick, to, to answer the question quickly, John, they were the great teachers and, and examples that guided the, the thinking of the church from the death of the, the apostles yes, okay. um, mm. in the first kind of 200, 300 years of the, of the Christian faith. So they're, 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 they're the mothers and fathers of the church. Now, it's called the patristic period, which is pater comes from father, because it was, they were the fathers of the church. But there is also more and more recognition being given to the early abbas or mothers of the yes, church as yeah, well. Yeah. And and they were generally they were generally people like Clement of Rome, Ignatius of Antioch, uh, Justin Martyr, Irenaeus of yeah. Lyon, mm. uh, Origen, Athanasius, Cappadocian Fathers, John Chrysostom. These are all names people will recognize because they're guy they're people that we mention. You know, they're still remembered as saints of the church right down to the present day. Shane, thanks a lot for that. Okay, at this point of the program, we might go for a spiritual communion prayer. And this, of course, is for those who couldn't receive Jesus sacramentally, uh, maybe at Mass this morning. My Jesus, I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot now receive you sacramentally, come spiritually into my soul. I embrace you as being already there. I unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. Now, let's just stay with us in part two. Uh, Shane, do you want to just give us a little bit of a flavour who they are? Yes, so this morning we're being joined by Rose O'Connor and Sister Betty Baker, and they're going to be sharing with us about the season of creation, which runs from September the 1st to the 4th of October. Thanks for that, Shane. So in the meantime, we'll go for our first bit of music. This is by Chris Tomlin, and this one is entitled, How Great Is Our God?
Welcome back to this week's podcast. My name is Shane Ambrose. Delighted to have you here. John is manning the controls to make sure everything stays the same and nothing blows up on screen. Uh, so we're delighted this week to have joining us on the podcast two guests that have been on before. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, Rose O'Connor from the Pastoral Centre in Limerick and Betty Baker, Sister Betty Baker. How are you doing today? We're doing very well. Rose, how are you keeping? It's only a few uh, weeks since you were here in the programme with us. I know, yeah, they've flown by actually, but no, it's great to be here back with you again. Indeed. Thanks for having us. That's always welcome. Always welcome to have you aboard, as they say. So we deliberately were inviting Rose back this week because a couple of weeks ago, we did an interview with Rose and Jane Mellett from Trocra about Laudato Si. And at the time, both Jane and Rose mentioned about the fact that we were entering or coming up towards what is the season of creation. So, Rose, we said we'd invite you back at the time. So, remind our listeners, what or who or where is the season of creation and what is it about? Okay, so the, the season of creation it runs from the 1st of September and it runs right through to the 4th of October, which is the feast day of St. Francis of Assisi, who is, I suppose, the, the forefather of all of this. And I suppose it's a, it's a particular season that's marked out, really, for to encourage people to really think about, you know, their the part they play in kind of protecting our common home and and you know looking after our environment so um, I suppose what's particularly useful and interesting for us and what we wanted to highlight today is that the number of resources that have been developed now these are developed in combination with with Jane who you mentioned from Trocra and the Irish um, Catholic Bishops Conference a number of dioceses input to it but they're very practical resources I suppose to bring the whole concept of you know, caring for our common home and the environment to the forefront, particularly in our liturgies. And there's some lovely resources there. You know, um, there's uh, particular suggestions and ideas. There's two different models you could follow for um, a prayer service that you could hold during the week in your parish. And I suppose so many parishes now are able to you know, web stream their, their liturgies, even if people can't come in. Um, but there's very practical ideas, you know, different readings and reflections and they draw on your scripture and let out a sea and then also from other cultures and a variety of wisdoms, which I think it, it's very, um, for, it'll be very kind of, I suppose, informed for people, maybe get them thinking more about what, what they can actually do in their own parish. So that's the kind of prayer service. And then for each of the, the five Sundays that are um, in that season of creation, then there's a, a whole really um, sort of intensive resource with great quality in it that has provides suggestions for music that you might play in your liturgies. Um, it also gives you ideas for like creating a sacred space so that even if people pay a visit to the church, there's something there to, you know, kind of a, a sort of um, something physical that they could sit maybe and, and pray with. And that's something we're certainly going to be encouraging in, in our own diocese is for maybe parishes to think about an outdoor prayer space that they might Put in place and something that might continue beyond this season uh, but it's also for each of the um the sundays there's um, homily notes and the, these come from a variety of lay people and clergy and um our, one of our newest bishops bishop martin hayes is i think it's the second sunday he's provided notes on, on the gospel that week there's also suggested prayers of the faithful and suggested reflections and there's also like a particular penitential rite with, with the very theme of you know, the environment within us so i suppose it's a great opportunity to maybe enrich our Sunday liturgies and to get people thinking to sow seeds in people's minds about, you know, 
how they might play a part or just even to become aware of the you know, huge challenges and issues that we're facing. And then I suppose the other part of the resource then is some suggested practical actions for parishes. And that's something that we really want to focus on. And I know Betty would say a bit more about it um, with, you know, for people at home and for parishes that what they might look at. The very practical things like, you know, having a pollinator plan and, you know, let's say within church grounds or if there's a kind of a public space in your parish that you might actually look at that in terms of planting in that. Um, you know, encouraging people maybe to start trying to grow some of their own food, you know, to think about that side of it in terms of, um, you know, and also supporting local producers where they they exist. Um, and I suppose, you know, the even just practical things like encouraging people to spend a little bit of time outside every day, you know, to actually kind of experience nature and immerse themselves in it. And I suppose it's, it's that a kind of awakening of the senses is something that we'd really like to kind of encourage people to do and to, to become just much more aware. I mean, we're, we're bombarded with a lot of things about the environment, but I think it's trying to bring it down to very realistic, practical levels, you know, that people at home can kind of think, actually, yeah, no, I get that. I could do something here, play a role. That's, that's, I think, is a very valid point, Rose, because I think at the moment there's a lot of, well, mixing metaphors and puns and all the rest of it, there's almost a, a tsunami of information coming at people, particularly, of course, recently because we had the publication of the IPCC report. Now, for people that don't, can't remember, the IPCC is the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. And what it does, it's a report by basically a bunch of scientists that brings together all the research and information in relation to climate change. And the report showed that emissions of greenhouse gases from human activities is responsible for approximately 1.1 degrees centigrade heating of warmings. Um, and it's kind of, it's due to human interactions. But obviously, and we've, we've seen some of the effects of that in terms of the, the heat waves and the, the fires in different parts of the world, particularly now at the moment in France, in Turkey, in the US. Um, we've seen some of the, the storms, say, for example, was hitting Haiti at the moment, hit Haiti during the week. So I suppose for a lot of people, it can be very overwhelming. Mm -hmm. um, so bringing it back to your parish level, bringing it back to your household level, bringing it back to individual level, I suppose, is something which breaks it down for people so they can get their heads around it. Would you say that's an important thing, Betty, that we kind of need to think about? Yeah, I think essentially we can become overwhelmed by the big crisis. And I suppose we have to admit that the, the universe, our world, is in crisis. And that kind of thought can really paralyze us. Mm -hmm. And I think therefore we need to maybe look at the big picture. Um, like I was reading somewhere today that if all of us lived like Americans, we would need six planets. And we very often blame consumerism and technology and all the rest for, for I suppose, our lack of rootedness and groundedness. But in many ways, it's, it's our, we've lost touch with the transcendent and we're trying to compensate uh, through consuming things, through buying things, through overuse of technology, whatever it is. And I was just thinking actually, when I was looking at the resources yesterday, last night, when Rose sent them to me, and we, the, the season of creation ends in Alberta Commas, it's, it's ongoing, but it, it ends on the Feast of St. Francis. And like when we think of the number of centuries ago he lived, 
and that yet he's still the model, he's, he's still the one. And when we look at his life, uh, I was just saying, what is it about his life that has been enduring? And I think a lot of it is around his attentiveness. And like you read things about him that I would be embarrassed to do today, and maybe you there would be embarrassed, or people would think we were off the rocker if we did them. But like he used to pick up the the, the worms off the ground if they're on the road and put them back into the field in case people would um, walk on them and destroy them. Or if he met a big, if he, if he came across a huge big field of flowers, he would tell the flowers to dance to their creator. But I think it was all about his attentiveness, his attentiveness to nature because he intrinsically believed in the indwelling presence of God. And I, I think that's, that's key, that for him the world was overflowing with the goodness of God. And he was able to live there for, with that sense of God's presence without actually possessing and holding on to things. And like by all the things we want people to do around reducing, reusing, recycling, all these kind of things, uh, they're really, really important. But at the end of the day, if our consciousness changes and our awareness changes to one of attentiveness to the world around us, to the people around us, it, we change because life begets life. Life leads to more life. And the more we really try to live, the more life we create. And I know suffering is part of that, but life and suffering are, are, are one and the same. Life leads to death and death leads to life. It's a cycle. So I suppose it's a way of trying to hold the terrible tragedies that are happening and not allowing ourselves to be crippled by them that it's an ongoing uh, evolution and we're in it, we're part of it. It's not just the seasons that are changing. I'm changing, we're all changing and we know it ourselves. And I suppose, it's, I think it's the whole thing around attentiveness. I was very struck during the year, I'll just say this, but, uh, that when people were having climate marches and all these kind of things to different organizations, uh, and I forget where it was, but they asked a group of people just to sit in contemplation and attentiveness without doing any action, just to be attentive and to be silent, to be aware. And they felt that the power of that kind of contemplative stance was, was, the, winning, was the winning point rather than maybe a whole lot of clamoring and action and so on. So just the power of that attentiveness. And I think that's what Francis, uh, Francis of Assisi, calls us to and actually Pope Francis calls it to calls us to as well because he talks about the desert is not only out there but the desert is inside us and to pay attention to the desert inside us. And it's it's something I suppose which is which is important as well. But when we're talking about the resources that are available, um sorry Rose, are they going to be on the Diocesan website if people wanted to find them? Yes, they will be on the Diocesan website and, and we will probably operate a webinar as well that we'll, brought, we'll share information on that, you know, if people want yeah, to. Yeah, because they're obviously, they're, they're there, they're aimed obviously, of course, at the parish level, um, as you said, the, the different resources, particularly for liturgical resources, but also practical actions, I think, mm. is an interesting one. 
And it's something maybe for people to think about, particularly where we're trying to, uh, what's the word I would use? I don't want to say rebuild, but almost reconnect after mm-hmm. 18 months of having to isolate and ways and means whereby parishes can redevelop and reconnect with parishioners and even those that aren't actively participating in parishes. Because, of course, the whole thing about this concern for the climate emergency is that it is people of faith faith and not of faith that are concerned about it. Obviously, as Christians, and particularly as, you know, as Christians, we're commemorating or we're marking this season of creation, which is there to raise awareness. And of course, this year, the, the theme is restoring our common home. Um, as Catholics, obviously, there's the whole focus in Laudato Si and the responsibility, the call that's there for us to, to step up um, to the challenge that, that is important. But just even the resources, Betty, just thinking, just look at what you're saying about the contemplation and, and there's, there's uh, to be prayers and reflections and some beautiful prayers that are there uh, in, in the resources as well. And as well as that, then there's also, um, you know, on the program, one of the things we encourage is, is Lectio Divina, which is reading prayerfully or reading thoughtfully, reading attentively, to use that expression that you had, um, with, with different things. And there's quite a number of resources there. There's the Pope's different messages. There's the document itself, Laudato Si, uh, for people to, 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 to reflect on. There is also the cry of the earth, a call to action for climate justice, which was a pastoral reflection from the Irish bishops um, in relation to this whole particular area as well. But Betty, I suppose one of the things I'd say to you is attentiveness and and awareness and that whole change of mentality and approach is something which can be challenging to do. People sometimes like to like is to be to be a bit active as well. But the, and there are ways uh, for us to be active, uh, both at the local level, the national level, and the international level. And in particular, you were mentioning um, the Laudato Si movement to us before we started the podcast. Can you tell, tell us a bit more about what that is? We'll start at the international level and we'll bring it back down. Yeah, yeah. there was a movement, a very active movement, uh, in which, to which a lot of organisations were uh, attached. Uh, and it was called the Global Catholic um, Movement. And they have been undergoing a process for the past couple of years because they kind of felt they really wanted to look at their mission statement and maybe rename themselves, which they did last month. And they came up with the title of uh, Laudato Sea Movement because they thought it was more all-encompassing. I'm not too sure, but maybe the title Global Catholic Movement uh, mightn't have encompassed as many organisations as maybe they might have felt, but it did encompass an awful lot. But the Laudato Si movement, um, I suppose because of the Pope's encyclical, and he addressed it not just to Catholics or Christians, he actually addressed that to all people, everybody on earth. So it, it's and like praise him, like praise him. That's it, Laudato Si, praise him. So the, they said so they changed it and they came up with the title Laudato Si movement. And Two thoughts struck me when, because I, I, I looked at the launch on Zoom. They said that whenever we say Laudato Si, even unknown to ourselves, we're saying praise him, praise God. And then the, the actual word movement 
isn't static. It means we have to keep moving, we keep developing, we keep the system open. Because if the systems are closed, they die. And it's only when systems are open and allow renewal to happen or something new come in to energize it that they keep alive. So that there's there's a lot of power in the word movement. And they just, uh, I suppose the sense is that it will encompass everybody because now it's everybody's issue, not just mine or um, Ireland's or America. It's everybody's issue and that it would be all encompassing. So from that point of view, I thought it was really good. But I also thought from our own point of view, because like we called ourselves initially and still do the Salesian Cosmology Group. And cosmology comes from the word cosmos. And cosmos just means everything. It's universal. Sometimes when we talk about ecology, we're talking about a particular sphere of um, science, for example. Uh, when I think of uh, cosmology, I think of geology because I did it in, my, in school. But cosmos, it's, it's incomprehensible at one level, cosmos, the universe. But it's, it's all encompassing. And I, I like it because it links actually with the no doubt to see movement. Now, we, you, you mentioned there about the, the La Data Sea movement, of course, which is more at, at the global level, but bring it, bring it back down to the diocesan side first, and then we'll bring it back down to parish, is the, the Rose, I understand there's to be some sort of a working group that's being established? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I suppose within the, the kind of rebranding and repositioning of the La Data Sea movement, there's also a seven-year plan that's to be made available for um, dioceses and for parishes. And I suppose it's all about sharing ideas and resources, but so that was something that we started to look at. And we, like in, in Limerick, we've been delighted to work with the Salesian Cosmology Group. The last time I was on, I talked about the number of different um, book clubs and Zoom webinars that we had that were very well attended and, and those were done in partnership with the, the Salesian Cosmology Group. So that's something we wanted to continue. But then we were thinking that you know, in, in a lot of ways, we're all trying to achieve the same goal. We're all trying to see, well, where can we make a difference? Where can we play a part? How can we stimulate, encourage people? So um, between us, we came up with this idea of inviting our, our neighbouring our, our neighboring diocese to, to join with us to say, well, you know, we know like in Kerry, they've done, they probably have been doing this longer and they have some ideas, even though they claim they're not that much further ahead than anybody else. And we've tried things and you know, everybody's is, is kind of in the same boat, if you like, you know, so the idea is to bring together neighboring dioceses along with ourselves and with the Salesian Cosmology Group to actually, I suppose, start to share our thinking and our resources and our experiences so that we can actually support each other. And particularly when we look at this idea of a, a seven year plan or, you know, a plan that, you know, because this, the, the sort of issues we're talking about here are not ones that can be fixed overnight. They're going to take time and, it, and there's a, a kind of a lead into everything. So that's why it's, it's broken into seven years. Um, but that's something that we thought would be useful and very practical that would allow us to, you know, share our resources and share our thinking and support each other so that it's it's a less lonely road, I think, when you're you're faced with the enormity of, of everything. But yes, we need to start taking action. And it's, you know, it's, it's a, a really kind of core part of our own kind of our faith teaching in that so, so we're trying to address that as well so that's really the the root of, of where that has come about um so we've we've already issued um you know calls for 
expressions of interest, if you like. So we we have um, already we have you know the um, dice of Curry and Killaloo and Ossery, um, and you know Cash and Lemley we're just firming up in terms of people who will be involved from there. But you know everybody's doing different initiatives, so I think it'll be very interesting to see all that coming together. And you know especially as was working with the the Deletion Cosmology Group have been in place for probably 11 years now, Betty, is it? Um, yeah, it's a lot of experience as well of trying to engage, you know, different people into conversation and, and dialogue. And, you know, I suppose what we're trying to do now is uh, let's work together on it, you know, let's, rather mm. than everybody trying to, to do it individually. And I suppose two two things that strike me, um, I was I was just looking for quotes there that I, I had come across before in relation to it. And you know, linking back to that idea of overwhelming that sometimes it's just taking the first step or a small step that gives us mm -hmm. that sense of us being able to take control of a situation, if you like. And I came across a quote a couple of years ago that, I, um, that, that struck me about this, that the future belongs to those who give the next generation reason for hope. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's a quote from uh, Pierre, Pierre de Chardin, Teilhard de Chardin. And um, it's, 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 it's that, I think, which for me is the interesting thing about it, because very much it's something young people are very conscious of. They're very aware of it. And um, it's something that perhaps those of us that are older, we kind of need to imbibe their enthusiasm in terms of, and not so much their enthusiasm, but their consciousness about it, their awareness about it, their urgency <clears throat> around the whole issue. And particularly... You know, um, it, you know, because there's going to be many, many discussions about it, and particularly, you know, Limerick is a rural diocese in many respects. Once you move out of the city, and there is a lot of misunderstanding, misinformation, miscommunication about the role of, say, for example, farming and agriculture in the whole debate that's going on at the moment. And so, it's just something for us to be very conscious of that we need to be participating no matter how little or how small we think that little participation is going to be. Mm -hmm. And just going back to Betty, what you were saying there, something a bit earlier about the, <clears throat> the awareness of it, I suppose. It's just, uh, I was just Googling, uh, just another quote that jumped up at me and I thought was very appropriate is that we are not physical beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a physical experience. And I thought it was a very, it's a very appropriate quote in terms of the reminder to us that, you know, and if, if nothing, if COVID hasn't taught us that, we are very much interconnected. And I suppose COVID has reminded us of our interconnectedness with other people. But the season of creation and this reminder that's put out there for us is a reminder to us that it doesn't stop at the level of humanity. It's we are connected with the wider cosmos, as, as you said yourself. Um, in terms of, I suppose, dates, resources, ideas that people might want to check in with on Rose, what's kind of the plan for the next couple of weeks? Well, I suppose the, the season of creation is the first kind of big um, sort of event, if you like. Well, you know, it's, it's, I suppose it's a month where we've really kind of marked it. So I suppose that's the first thing that you know, we'll be making our resources available. We, we'll, we will have an event. It may be possibly more a reflective event rather than just we can explain the resources, but maybe just to bring people together, I suppose, to, to kind of mark, particularly maybe on the, the 1st of September, that might be something we'd look at or in or around that date. Um, I think we will be developing this section on our website that we will be adding to in this. And I suppose we are coming together with our fellow diocese um, next week, actually be an initial kind of meeting, but then to start to look at, you know, 
you know, practical things that we can actually do. So I suppose it's to kind of watch this space really, we would be kind of developing it as we go. I mean, last year we, we ran a number of events that were very well attended, not just by people in the Diocese of Limerick actually, but neighboring dioceses as well. So that made us realize that, you know, people are interested and they need to get their heads around it and they, you know, it's kind of a community developing in that sense. Um, but it's something that we would want to, um, you know, it's one of our themes for the year, if you like, in terms of our pastoral year and something that we would see is um, it's kind of priority for us to be, where can we make our one, one of the challenges, I suppose, um, Rose, just from a, a practical point of view, is that because of COVID and the restrictions and all the rest of it, you know, it might be difficult um, to animate pastoral councils or parish groups in this regard. Is there any kind of advice maybe that, you know, that we could give to people in that regard? You know, because, you know, I suppose people say they have a lot of priorities. There's a lot of things that have paused and been stopped mm-hmm. for the last 12, 18 months. And trying to in, just to stress to people um, that this should be a priority as much as anything else. Is there any kind of advice that we can give or ways and means that, you know, we could encourage parishes and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to obviously to, you know, it doesn't have to stop on the parish priestess. This is something mm-hmm. ordinary people can do. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there is, there's, I mean, there's a lot of very practical ideas for people they can do at home, and I suppose one of the ones that we want to particularly explore is the idea of having kind of an outdoor prayer space. Now, that to create something like that, whether it's a little garden or something where there's a bench and people can sit for a while. Um, like if you have kind of, you know, I don't know my own parish, there's like a hands-on group. They're the ones that put up the Christmas tree and they're the ones that kind of build, you know, the, the crib and stuff like that. But people like that are usually very enthused to get involved in a project of that kind of nature, you know, that, that draws on different skill sets. I think this is maybe there's an opportunity here to do something, even to look at you know, the spaces around our churches and in our parishes, see like, could we be making better use of these? Could we make them you know, more bee friendly? And I think it's an opportunity to involve a wider range of people um, so that it shouldn't just fall to the pastor council, but actually to look around and see, you know, how could we draw others in? And it's a way maybe of people getting involved that wouldn't get involved otherwise, you know, they, they'll get involved in something practical like that. For me, I think that's, that's really important that it's, it's um, tangible, real, practical and doable. You know, I think that that's kind of will be our focus, particularly in this early stages, you know, to sort of get people interested and, and sort of seeing what they can practically do themselves. And, you know, they broker have they have 100 ideas of, of different actions you can take um, that's available through the resources. And there's some very practical ones, um, you know, about how we use water, sort of how we manage our waste and you know, I think there's a reasonable level of awareness of that, but I suppose it's maybe even just giving people just a few more kind of tips and hints of, of how they can make a little bit of a difference, you know. And I think if you get enough people doing that, then you begin to see the change happening. One of the things that struck me about it, Rose, is that the work or the, the things that we're, that we're trying to do around this, it also presents an opportunity for parishes very much to link in with other groups in their areas that might be doing something. So Absolutely. one that actually came to mind was the Green Schools Initiative, mm-hmm. um, you know, where schools are, are, are working on that and, and they're working working with children and, 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 and they try to take it out of school also to homes as well. Mm-hmm. And also presents an opportunity to engage with other actors in the community that could be brought into it um, to, to, to kind of to spread the message. Because it's very Absolutely. much, like, you know, it's not something which is in the silo mm-hmm. of, of, no. of church in terms no, of the context no, no. of the it's building mm-hmm. it's very much focused on community and it's definitely yeah. 
it's something which, you know, I would say parish pastoral councils should be, um, what's the word I'd say, should be looking at as an enthusiastic way of communicating out what the parish is about as a broader concept than just, uh, yeah. just, just, just purely mass for many people. Absolutely. It's like the church coming out, actually, coming out of the building, you know. Um, yeah. I mean, I was passing um, a neighbouring parish yesterday and somebody had mentioned to me that a beautiful wildflower garden they put in place this year. So I stopped off to look at it and there was a, a man there and it, it was the Tidy Towns Committee that were actually doing it. But it was right beside the church. And, you know, it's like they're groups that do tremendous work. But even just to have those working together, I think mm. would be tremendous, you know, just to, to sort of uh, get that involvement. Because it's definitely, I suppose, I, I, that was actually the one group I was trying to think of was the Tidy Towns Committees. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be, you know, the, the likes of that in terms of link, creating linkages across the parishes, across the communities. Um, and I suppose the other side of it is, you know, one of the challenges we face as, as, as a diocese is the sense of parish identity. Because obviously we're in a time of transition, we're in a state of flux where our understanding of parish in an ecclesiastical sense is changing because we no longer have necessarily resident clergy, whatever the case might be. So the challenge for lay people is to say, what is it for us to be as a community? Mm. What does it mean for us to be as parish? And this could be a way of having that dialogue with other groups and other people saying, this is who we are. You know, we're not going to disappear just because whatever, something happens like that. Yeah, and I think that sense of place and sense of belonging is very important as well. You know, and there's a sense of pride of place, you know, um, because that's, I think, like, Tidy Towns is, is so driven by that as well. And I suppose the other example I could give you is with the John Paul II Award. Um, like, for example, Sister Patricia in Kilfinnan. I mean, she has all her young people out. You know, they, they give, I think it's two different evenings where they go out literally to kind of maintain the area around their locality and, and to sort of, you know, paint and plant and, and weed and you know do all that kind of stuff. But it's it's a great way of involving people in a mm, exactly. practical way. And you know. Yeah. And I suppose Betty, the other thing that strikes me about it is, and it's linking back to that idea you were mentioning about the attentiveness and the, the linkage and the awareness of the greater environmental thing. One of the things I suppose that we've learned through COVID is the beauty of what's on our own doorsteps for many people and rediscovering what's in our neighborhoods. But that also poses the, the challenge to us that, you know, some of that is disappearing because of climate change. Mm. Yeah. And you see, and I see it's, it's all linked and it's all interconnected, as you say, like so often. And I think for parishes and for parish groups, a lot of it is around churchy stuff or religious stuff or whatever. And uh, it's just to remind ourselves that taking care of the earth is fulfilling a sacred task as well. And I think that's really important because we don't necessarily see it as a sacred task. But when we look at what's happening around the world, we we become to realize that it is a sacred task. And I suppose one of the things I've been thinking about is that COVID will bring, has brought and will bring more changes to what we would see as church and parish and worship. And we know uh, what the demographics are looking like and what they probably will be in the future. But a lot of of younger people would um, see the task of caring for the earth as as a sacred task for them. And we have to acknowledge that. Mm -hmm. And I suppose as a church, then we we need to 
need to model what we want people to to espouse. You know, we want to model that as a sacred task. We have to model it so that it's actually seen as it's a very relevant and real way of living our faith. Mm. Like when we think of the Gospels and we think of Jesus, he was so connected with nature and he used nature so often uh, in his parables and in his stories and in the comparisons he made. So it's not something that's foreign to us. And it's, it's, it's to integrate that. But I, I think all the things that have been mentioned are really important, like home and what we do at home and so on. But like, and I know it's a huge task, but take finance committees and parishes, for example, if they wanted to look at um, what would be a challenge for them. And I think it'd be a huge challenge, an expensive challenge, but one of the biggest uh, offenders is fossil fuel. And all our churches, I would say, by and large, our our heating is is all dependent on oil. And look at the amount of work that would need to be done there. Even to to take an inventory of um, of electricity and water and heating, that would provide a huge huge program of work for uh, finance committees in parishes or pastoral areas. And I think it's unavoidable because the fossil fuel one is the highest on the list. Um, so we can avoid it by looking, and I know the small things count, but that's that's a very big one. Mm. So I, I, I do think that's important. And I think, as Rose said, um, I think for us, with all the stuff we have been doing and so on, the, the most challenging part is to embed it this thinking in parish is to embed it locally. Uh, there are people who are naturally inclined to it, or there might be the love reading or discussion or intellectual stuff, but to embed it locally is the biggest challenge that I have found over the years. And until it's embedded locally, it won't happen. And I think one of the things Rose said there about um, something outside, something that people can see, something beautiful in a church, whether it's a garden or a seat or flowers or whatever, that draws people's attention. And they don't necessarily have to be what we might consider as church goers. They will still be maybe awakened by, by the beauty. And what's beauty? You know, so I think I think we need to make connections and that our liturgies like I think our liturgies are so they're so cerebral. Uh, we we go to pray and we kind of think prayer is to remove us from the material world and send us wherever, where in actual fact it's meant to ground us in the world around us, in the materiality of the world. Um, you know, and that puts us in touch with God. I am always struck by the Hard Chardin's one. Um I don't know whether he was in at the, in war or not as a member. He was a bearer, stretcher, stretcher bearer or something. But he he couldn't celebrate mass, and his prayer was that he was offering mass on the altar of the world, and that was his mass every day. And at the offertory, I mean, it's beautiful. It'd be just lovely to find the exact words from his from his uh, writings. And at the offertory, he used to offer all the sufferings and pains of the world. Uh, in place of the bread and wine. Uh, he called it, the, I think, the mass of the world, I think, is what he called it. And um, 
it, it's it's totally inspiring uh, because yeah, it is. I, I definitely would agree with you there. It's he's one of those writers. Um, not the, sometimes not the easiest one to read. No, for, very difficult. Very difficult to read, but there are little gems like that that you come out. Right. As you said, it's, it's called the Mass of the World. I had come across it before, beautiful. and uh, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful piece. It's published in 1961, and um, it's 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 a fabulous. Um, how would I put it to you? Uh, uh, you know, he, it's uh, mystical. It's mystical. Yeah, Yes, mystical. The first yeah. paragraph, even alone, just to say to people, is I have neither bread nor wine nor altar. I will raise myself beyond these symbols up to the pure majesty of the real itself. I, your priest, will make the whole earth my altar and on it will offer you all the labours and sufferings of the world. Over there on the horizon, the sun has just touched with light the outermost fringe of the eastern sky. Once again, beneath this moving sheet of fire, the living surface of the earth wakes and trembles and once again begins its fearful trial. I will place on my pattern, O God, the harvest to be won by this renewal of labour. Into my chalice I shall pour all the sap which is to be pressed out this day from the earth's fruits. That's a beautiful... Fabulous. And he actually says, like, he was a scientist. He was a Jesuit as well. And he was a, he was a real Jesuit, like. But he was a scientist. But just to say, I think this is important, this little bit for, for people, for ordinary people like us. He said, I'm a scientist. I'm not a theologian. I'm not a theologian. And what he was doing was, it was the practice of his faith in reality. But he never claimed to be a theologian, which I thought was interesting. It was. And that's unfortunately what got him into trouble at the time. But he's been rehabilitated since. Well, so I suppose if we were if we were to sum it up, I suppose Betty and Rose, in just in terms of in terms of what we were saying to people this week, that at the moment it can seem overwhelming. But any pro any problem that looks that needs to be solved, it needs to be broken down into its component parts, and we approach it step by step. And the season of creation from the first of September to the fourth of October which this year has the theme Restoring Our Common Home, gives us that opportunity where we as individuals can look and see what are the bits that I can do as an individual, as a family, as a household, as a parish community, as a pastoral unit community, participate in the diocesan approach, and ultimately in a more global approach in terms of to aim to, you know, st not stop the problem, but rebuild the damage that has been done to a certain extent. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Can I read um, just, um, I don't know if you've seen it on Facebook. You know that Richard Hendrick? He wrote mm -hmm. a lot of beautiful poetry during COVID. And um, it was just a day I saw it now. It might have been gone up yesterday. Well, it just had six hours ago. Now, he's written a very long poem. And you, you'll be able to find it if you want to put it up. It's called The Garden is Burning. And will I just read a few lines? Uh, just a few lines from the beginning and a few lines from the end, because it's very long, but it's worth looking at up on Facebook. He said, for a long time now, a fire has been burning in my mind. A flood has rolled across my heart. An earthquake, earthquake rumbles in my soul. I am afraid it is breaking this world of ours. How could it not? It bears so much weight, the weight of sadness, of fear, of pain. 
And then he goes on to talk about Greece and, and all the things that you mentioned beforehand. And he comes down then to say, what was meant as a garden, taken from the story of creation, what was meant as a garden needs its gardeners, needs us to be Adam's gardeners again, needs us to be Eve's mothers, mothers of life again. That was the original blessing after all, to grow, to steward, to bring forth life, to bless, to give thanks, to guard and keep all that lives, all that breeds, all that is. So what must I do? What can you do? Be a gardener now, right where you are. Dig. Dig deep within. Dig over the hard soil of the heart that cannot bear to hear any more and let it breathe again original blessings. Plant seeds of kindness, of compassion, of love. Water it with the tears of all beings who suffer Grow a harvest of tenderness for those who suffer. Grow flowers of welcome for the lost and lonely. And it goes on. It's beautiful. But it'll be worth looking it up and using it maybe in your um, presentation or whatever. And we'll use it too, Rose. Very good. Very good. Okay. Just, the key thing is take the step. Take a step. Exactly. One step, you can take another, you know. So exactly. Everything and starts with a small step, doesn't it? It does. Everything starts with small steps and reaching out because it's mm. not something that people will do alone. And the other thing is, don't be afraid that you're not alone. So if people are, are interested and, and they want to take this on in their community, take it on. You know, don't be afraid of well, what will Joe and Mary down the road think, think. You might be surprised. Joe and Mary will be having the exact same thought and are looking for someone to, to help yeah. them get it going. That's, that's the, you know, that's, that's the whole point of it. Okay, so to bring us to the, to the end of this part of this week's podcast, Rose, you had suggested to us a particular piece of music. So could you just tell us about it and why you picked it? Yeah, it's a, it's a nice catchy number now, so I hope your um, people will enjoy it. It's called The Three R's by Jack Johnson. And it's from the film Curious George, for those of you who know Curious George. But I think it was really is a really good message and it kind of breaks down the three R's of you know reduce, reuse and recycle. I suppose just in a very kind of practical way, it's particularly targeted at young people. So, Perfect. hope you enjoy it. Thanks, very much. Rose, Betty, delighted to have you on the podcast. We'll have you on again soon. Thanks very Thank much. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thanks, Jane. Thanks, John. Make some trash, well don't throw it out, recycle. 
So welcome back again to the third part of Come and See Inspirations. My name is John Kelly, still joined by Shane Ambrose. And now we come to the part of the gospel, uh, sorry, the part of the program where we read and reflect on the Word of God, uh, the Sunday Gospel for the 22nd, 21st Sunday, actually, in ordinary time. Before that, Shane shares a prayer with us before reading and reflecting on Scripture. Thanks, Shane. Lord, we thank you for putting us in the presence of your Word, which you inspired in your prophets. May we approach this word reverently, attentively, and humbly. May we not despise this word, but receive all it has to say to us. We know that our hearts are closed, often incapable of comprehending the simplicity of your word. Send your spirit to us so that receiving the word in truth and simplicity, our lives may be transformed by it. Let us not be resistant, Lord. May your word penetrate us like a two-edged sword. May our hearts be open to it. Let that our eyes be closed and our minds wander, but may we give ourselves entirely to this listening. We ask this, Father, in union with Mary, who used to recite the Psalms to Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thanks for that, Jen. So the Gospel for today, as I said, the 21st Sunday in Ordinary Time, is taken from the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verse 60 to 69. After hearing his doctrine, many of the followers of Jesus said, This is intolerable language. How can anyone accept it? Jesus was aware that his followers were complaining about it and said, does this upset you? What if you should see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? It's the Spirit that gives life. The flesh has nothing to offer. The words I've spoken to you are spirit, and they are life. And there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the outset those who did not believe, and who it was that would betray him. And he went on, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father allows him. After this, many of his disciples left him and stopped going with him. Then Jesus said to the twelve, What about you? Do you want to go away too? Simon Peter answered, Lord, who should we go to? You have the message of eternal life. 
we, and we believe, we know that you are the Holy One of God. That's the Gospel for today, I believe, Shane. It's the last Sunday where we're reading John for a little while. Yes, so we've had a couple of Sundays where we've been listening to John. Obviously, it was interrupted last week because we had the Feast of the Assumption. Um, so next week, this week with John, next week we return to Mark. So what we have here is the ending of the section in John's Gospel where Jesus reflects and speaks about uh, the bread of life, him being the bread of life. So it's, 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 to a certain extent, there's a degree of repetition in terms of what we're reflecting on this week. But ultimately, it's all summed up in that question that he asks of the twelve. What about you? Do you want to go away too? And Simon Peter's response, Lord, who should we go to? You have the message of eternal life and we believe. We know that you are the Holy One of God. And ultimately, when it comes down to faith, that is the ultimate question that has to be asked. That's the question we have to ask ourselves each week. I think that's the question that sometimes is misinterpreted or misunderstood um, in terms of people's relationship with faith and church and being part of the community. Ultimately, for each and every one of us, that is the question that we must ask and answer for ourselves in terms of our relationship with Christ. Who do we, who do we say he is? Who is he for us? You know, at the end of the day, we don't, for those of us that are Christian, and particularly for those of us that are Catholic, no one is kind of locking you into a church. No one is saying that you must do this, you must do that. It's always an invitation. And for us in Ireland, there is definitely uh, a history there that we need to recognize, acknowledge, but also you know, say to people that things have changed. Where before, it was a requirement that you had to go. But ultimately, the question has to be asked for each of us individually in freedom and freedom of conscience and to answer and reflect and pray on that question, to ask ourselves, can we answer as Peter has answered? Lord, who shall we go to? You have the message of eternal life. And it is that confession of Peter. So a couple of weeks ago, we had the the confession in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus says, who do people say I am? And Peter's response is, you are the Christ. And from that, we get that great expression, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. Now, what we're actually, the rock that's been spoken of is not Peter, the man. It is the declaration of faith that Peter makes. You are the Christ. And here in John's gospel, we have that similar kind of declaration of faith. Who do you say, who, what about you? Do you want to go away too? And Simon Peter answered, Lord, who shall we go to? And for us, that is the challenge and that is the question. You know, Archbishop, the new Archbishop in, in, in Dublin during the week kind of, I suppose, admitted the reality that for many people in Ireland, you know, we are in a crisis of faith because people don't, they don't know the basics. Despite the fact that, you know, for many people, we've come through what's called a so-called Catholic education in our school systems. The reality is for many people, they don't have the basics. We don't live in a society where people are able to dialogue, to talk, to communicate in the language of faith anymore. And that is the challenge that's there for us as a faith community, as a church community, both from the point of view of clergy or bishops, 
but also family being able to say and turn around and so that people will be able to make that declaration where shall we go to you know and that is the challenge that's there at the moment when we talk about crisis of faith when we talk about the fact that people aren't going to mass anymore that people are not participating in the church to life anymore it is because we are not giving them the answer to that question that we, they will be able to respond and say, well, where else would we go to find that, that meaning of life, that understanding of grace, that opportunity to feel uh, the, the, the spirit of God moving in our lives? Because we often live in a world where God is missing but not missed. And that is the challenge that's there for us because there are so many other things to be done and to be done and to be doing and to be off at. And, you know, that whole point that people have turned themselves away because of whatever has happened in the past or they've had a bad experience or whatever the case might be. And it is being able to be humble to know where people are coming from, but also being confident that we can share the joy of that message so that those of us that are believers, we can say, well, where else are we going to go? you have the message of eternal life. And for me this Sunday, that gospel in particular, particularly given the context of what um, the Archbishop Dublin said during the week, it's a challenge for us. And it's also something for us to pause and reflect on. We have to be a humble church in many respects and to be able to engage with people um, where they're at and to try and be, and because at the end of the day, as we, as we said last week on, on, on the program with Sister Imelda, you know, the desire for faith, the desire for the encounter with the divine is hardwired into us as human beings. And it is being able to engage with that desire in people as a Christian people, as a faith-filled people, as a faith-filled community, as a faith-filled church. That is the challenge that's there for us in the modern day. Shane, thank you very much for sharing that with us. Okay, um, a few thoughts that came to me this morning. Uh, certainly, that, that that part of the of the gospel right at the start is the spirit that gives life. That flesh has nothing to offer. The words I've spoken to you are spirits, and they are life. Whenever I hear of the spirit being spoken about in the scriptures, I find myself drawn to reflect on the passage in front of me a bit more closely. Today it's Jesus Himself who speaks to us about the spirit. And so I need to pay more attention and reflect on what it means to me. It's the spirit that gives life, the flesh has nothing to offer. Some thoughts that come to me about this particular few lines. So do I believe this? Do I believe that the spirit gives life? Do I believe that the flesh has nothing to offer? How much time do I listen or I give to the Holy Spirit? Do I give quality time and listen to the Holy Spirit? How much time do I give to what the world or the flesh has to offer. Is it a better equivalent, less or more than I give to the spirit? The so-called world which is offering me in terms of getting the life. We've all experienced times when we've followed the values of the world that the world puts in our way and know they've not always given us the life, the energy and the purpose we expected. We also know that there's times when we listen to the Holy Spirit and have experienced joy and peace and love in our lives. This is because, as Jesus tells us in the words he has spoken, the spirits, that he has spoken, uh, the spirits and their life. 
Maybe we can give the Spirit more space this week to lead us into that life that we've been offered. As Simon Peter said at the end of today's program, at the end of today's passage, Lord, who should we go to? And you have the message of eternal life. And we believe and we know that you're the Holy One of God. So to finish, I suppose, today, my few thoughts, I need to be always grateful to God the Father, as Jesus said today. No one can come to me, come to Jesus, unless the Father allows him. I need to thank God, maybe we all thank God, for that gift that he's given us, of being able to come and listen to the message that the Lord offers us each Sunday. So that about brings us to the end of the programme. Again, thanks a lot, Shane, for, for joining me this morning. So now we go for our final piece of music this morning, and it's sung by Emmanuel, and this is entitled, Why Go It Alone? So to next week from Shane, Shane and myself. Thanks again for staying with us. Enjoy the week. God bless now. Bye. <laughs>